0: Welcome to Canuck's Corner. This is Aaron Lane, and it is May 27th, 2017. This is a podcast in which I let you know all things Canuck. And in the playoff time, this is when I get to make predictions for the playoff, tell you how things went, and how things will go from here. The pregame show. This is part of the podcast in which I lay out what the Canucks news is And what my prior predictions were For the last round of the playoffs So let's begin with that Canucks news Shall we? Alright, not a lot of news But uh, we do have a new signing Philip Holm Gets signed for uh, a one year Entry level contract And he's a six-one, 190 pound defenseman From the Swedish league Benning says that He adds depth to our blue line Which I completely believe (laughs) In so much as I don't believe He's going to be a a huge player A huge pick in this this situation Not a pick, but you know A huge pickup He's 25 years old And been working things out In the Swedish Hockey League Last year, 4 goals 17 assists for 21 points And 30 penalty minutes In 52 games So Not tremendous in any sort of way, except in one way. He was a plus 24, and he earned the honors for the best plus minus in the league at plus 24. So, this is someone who knows their defensive responsibilities, and yet is, quote, a two-way defenseman. So, if we can get some puck movement from him, which we're sorely lacking at this point, and then he can also be solid defensively, I think he's a great pickup. I think he could be a solid number four, number five guy and add depth and strength when we need it. So, good job, Jim. This is probably uh, a reasonable signing for you. (laughs) Well done. Outside of that, we just have to congratulate Alexander Edler for being on the gold medal, Swedish winning team. (laughs) The tri-kroner went ahead and uh, defeated Canada in a shootout. Which I think left very few people surprised. I don't even remember the name of the goaltender Canada had. I think he was the backup goaltender for the Avalanche. Let that sink in for a minute. We had the backup goaltender for the Avalanche in a shootout against... Oh, who does Sweden have? Oh, yeah, right. Henrik Lundqvist. Whoever that may be. (laughs) So, Yeah we didn't stand much of a chance there in that situation. It was surprising that we even got to the point where we were in overtime with Lundqvist. Not that Lundqvist lit up the world in the playoffs or anything, but he is Henrik Lundqvist and is going to be better on most nights than any backup in the NHL. So, yeah, not not a big surprise. So well done, Alex, for being a part of a winning a winning team and you seem pretty excited about it you had your phone out and everything <laughs> and uh, anyway no yeah you had a good time and I was that was good good for you but yeah that pretty much uh, that pretty much deal speaking of Alex Edler just saw a Sportsnet article headline that the Canucks aren't shopping Edler or Tanev and looking to re-sign Miller now, as I believe I've said, I'm not surprised that they're going to try to re-sign Miller. I'm not sure if Miller wants to re-sign, but if they're going to re-sign Miller, then that's fine. There's, I don't think Markstrom needs to be in net for 50 shots against every night, <laughs> for the most part next season. I think he can play tandem or a, a good chunk of the season in backup and still get what he needs, especially since he was injured for a good portion of this season. So, yeah, I, I think that's... If we resign Miller, I've, I've got no problem with that. If we don't, well, then Markstrom just has to deal with playing on a very weak a very weak team overall. So he, he's going to have to take a lot of shots, and he's going to lose a lot of games, and he's just going to have to be able to deal with that. So either way, on the goaltending front, I think things are fine. And then... But, okay, not moving Edler or So here's the thing. I understand that journalists have to journal, <laughs> and they have to they have to ask the questions and they have to say okay are you looking to move these guys it is not i also understand it is not in the best interest of the team actively trying to move players to tell everyone that they're actively trying to move players you want a trade conversation to go something like this hi jim you wouldn't happen to be wanting to move tanev would you cuz i think we could find a place in our organization for him if if you were willing to move him. And Jim says, "Well, you know, I wasn't thinking about moving him. He's a huge he's a huge part of our team and our core right now. Probably going to be a top 2 defenseman next season. So, frankly, no. Not interested in moving him unless you guys throw me something that I can't refuse. If you're going to if you're going to toss me a name or a draft pick that I can't refuse, then sure. Let let's do it. So that's how you want it to go. You don't want it to go like this. Hey Jim, everyone says you're trading Tanev and uh I don't see a bunch of people knocking down your door, but I tell you what if you want to give him away for next to nothing, I guess I guess'll we'll, we'll take him for like a third or fourth round draft pick maybe we'll, we'll see how it goes. maybe just futures and then we'll just work something out later and Jim, Jim would say, uh, oh yeah, well mm, <sighs> <laughs> So yeah, we know that's how it goes, right that if if you don't look like you're tra- you're trying to trade the guy. Then you're in a stronger position at the bargaining table. So yeah, I, I if I were trying to trade Edler and Tanev, the last thing I would do is tell the press. I, I mean literally, unless it's unless it's okay. World, Alexander Edler is finally able to waive his no trade, and he's up for grabs to the highest bidder. Like unless you're trying to create that sort of situation where you're, you've got an auction on your hand, and teams will be. Jumping over each other once they hear about it, to try to get the trade first and then you know and then ultimately sign them. that's that's where you wanna be, so you either want to be in the situation where you've got an auction situation happening or you want it dead quiet, so they come to you and when they come to you with the name, you're in a position of power, so forget what you read in the papers and see on t v and whatever or hear on podcasts. <laughs> Because if they're, if they're doing their, their job in the front office of the Vancouver Canucks, they're not giving up that leverage by telling everybody what they're about to do. So that's, that's what I figure anyway. Now that said, if they're not seriously considering moving Tanev or Edler at this point, they are out of their freaking minds. <laughs> because we're talking two guys that we could actually get something for. Not a bunch. As I've said in the past, Edler's not a spring chicken anymore, and he's not at the top of his game necessarily anymore. It certainly hasn't been since Tortorella crushed his soul. Um. So, yeah, I mean, what do we got? Well, we've got a couple of guys that could get us maybe second-round draft picks, and that's nothing to sneeze at, man. We need those other guys to step in and, and grow with Barchi and Horvat and all the other guys, right? So we need first-round, second-round, even third-round draft picks to to fit into our lineup somehow. And then, like I said, we need a lucky lottery pick and get a superstar, or at least a couple of star players along the line as well. So we need a lot. And and so one of the things we need is to get the most out of our players that we can move. And I'm not certain we can't. I mean, especially Tanov. I think there's a good chance we can move him. Edler with the serious no-trade and all that business. I don't know. Maybe he got excited. Maybe with the winning the the gold medal, the the world championship there he got he got really pumped with the idea of winning again. And it looked like he did. It looked like he really enjoyed that. So maybe that goes it probably goes one of two ways. Either he's excited about winning again and now he's man, I have to go through a whole another year of losing and losing and losing. And maybe he's like, "Okay, you know what? Forget it." Jim, here are my top six teams. Yep, they're all teams that could win the Stanley Cup next year because that's what I want. I want to be on a Stanley Cup contender. I want to win because winning feels a lot better than losing. And being a part of a winning team feels a lot better than being a part of the losing one. So at that point, Benning now has six teams where he can at least kick the tires and and see what he can get. And that's that's fantastic. That'll be something to work with at least. And like I said, if we can just get some solid pieces to our puzzle for those two guys, yeah, I mean, we'll be down defensemen, and it will be even more tragic back there. But that just, means, that just means it's full rebuild mode. That's how rebuilds are supposed to be. You're supposed to get the most for your older talent, trading them down, you know, trading them in for and down, I mean, like, for younger talent right? And so, obviously not down in in talent, but just just down for younger talent. So trading age down. Just wanted to make that clear. So yeah, I mean, that's what you want. And it's possible with those two players that you could get something really important for your team. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. So that's the Canucks news for now, as far as I know it. Onwards to my predictions from last week. Alright, my predictions from last week were that the Penguins would crush Ottawa. That it wouldn't even really be a series. That it was going to be over in four or five games. Ottawa was totally outclassed essentially. And they just couldn't compete with Pittsburgh. And for Nashville and the Anaheim Ducks, I thought the old men were done. And it was just a matter of time. About five or six games. Maybe they'd win a couple of games, but in that... Like the time they would peter out, and Getzlaff, and Perry would, <laughs> and Bieksa, and these guys, Kessler. They'd all not be able to push hard enough, and in the end, the solid team, including the awesome goaltender, Pekka Rene, would roll on over them. So those are my two predictions. So let's see how that worked out. Game time. This is how we find out whether or not my predictions went the way I said, or went otherwise. Now, on to the first prediction. So I was looking for the Penguins to quickly get rid of the Ottawa Senators, and right off the bat in Game 1, this does not go well for me. As it goes into overtime after 1-1, and Bobby Ryan scores in overtime to give Ottawa the win. Oh, mm, that's okay. I said Ottawa could win a game. This was just their, we're excited to be in the semifinals sort of game. Pittsburgh will now take over and everything will be okay. Game two, Pittsburgh took over and everything was okay. They won 1-0. But it wasn't. it wasn't the game that I thought it would be. It was still really tight and it still could have gone either way. And Pittsburgh was not in complete control. Now part of the reason we start finding out, or we start looking at it, we start realizing, Pittsburgh's hurt. They've got problems on their back end with like Schultz. They didn't have Latang since the beginning. They've got a couple of other injuries that are making it difficult for them to consistently put pressure on the, the opposing players that are coming in and moving the puck well. And suddenly, things don't look too good for Pittsburgh. And in Game 3, that's exactly what happens. Ottawa jumps all over Pittsburgh and wins 5-1. to one. At this point, I'm thinking, oh man, Pittsburgh's a lot more hurt and a lot more vulnerable than I thought was the case. And we have this terrible situation for Pittsburgh where Mark andre Fleury had been carrying them all the way through and in fact got a shutout the night before, and he's pulled. Pulled after letting in, I think, all five goals Maybe it was four. Maybe it was four nothing, I think. Anyway. Yeah, they they were right to pull him. He was he was done, but Matt Murray goes in, and now we're really concerned because or I'm concerned. Because I've seen in sports time and time again this idea that the starter shouldn't lose a spot to injury. And then times when it totally doesn't make sense for him to come back. And I think it was the B C Lions a number of years ago. Oh, shoot, I'm going to... Mm, Dave Dickinson maybe was quarterback. Casey Printers maybe was the backup. And I forget exactly what the situation was, but we got to the Grey Cup, basically. Or the semifinals. Anyway, we got we got really deep. And then all of a sudden, our starting quarterback was healthy again. And it was like, do you put him in? and Or do you go with this backup quarterback who's been doing a really good job, and it looks like he'll be okay. But yeah, they put in the starting quarterback again, and we lost. Because the starting quarterback wasn't ready. He he was physically ready, but he wasn't mentally ready. You can't throw a guy... I mean, even some, even if it was Dave Dickinson, you, you, you can't take even a, a veteran star player necessarily and put him right into the fire like that and expect him and the whole team to all of a sudden go, Oh, okay, Dave's back there. We're good now. We're going to win. It doesn't always work out that way, and it didn't work out that way that time. But then there's other situations that's been similar to that, where teams have put in their top goaltender or top quarterback or top forward and after injury, and that, for whatever reason, it stopped them from doing well. So I was worried that Pittsburgh was making the same call with Murray. That they'd put Murray in for Game 4, and he just wouldn't have it. And then they're down 3-1. to one. And then basically they're done. So it frustrated me because I thought, okay, the Penguins have this thing. And my son's going to be happy. And everything's going to be good. But then they gonna got Murray in there and they're going to lose. <laughs> it's going to suck. And yeah, but whatever. Okay, let's see what happens. And what happens is they put Murray in for game four and he just does the job. And the Penguins come in around him and they, and they hold it tight. But it's another tight game and they managed to win three to two. So it's, it's 2-2. And all of a sudden, it's a way tighter series. And you can tell right then that there's no favorite here at this point. That both teams are pretty much evenly matched. And that's funny to say with Crosby and Malkin and Kessel that somehow Ottawa's guys match up against them. But it's because of the type of game Ottawa plays. Ottawa plays a really tight defensive team game, and that's how that you know they ultimately got past the teams that they did. Was they could always go back to that shell of being tightly defensive and waiting for their their chances. And by this time, Crosby and Malkin and and Kessel just couldn't overpower them like they could early earlier in the playoffs. They didn't. They don't have the energy anymore to just keep coming at them with tons of skill and just taking over the game that way but they did enough so now th- these are the games that are about the role players that are about the players that kind of come out of the woodwork and I believe that's what we see in this game so we see the the game winning goal scored by Dumoulin from Cole and Wilson Crosby got one of the goals Mata got another goal so yeah we're seeing the star players doing the star things as best they can but not completely overtaking things and then the role-playing characters coming in and doing the job they need to, S- and chipping in, right? So they showing depth and showing the ability to let other guys get in on the scoring. Okay, so what's going to happen in Game Five? Complete mystery. All we know is that three of the games have been decided by one goal, and it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that this is going to be tight and probably in overtime, no matter what. Game Five, seven nothing Pittsburgh. <laughs> This playoffs has, for as much as it's kind of gone the way in a lot of cases I thought it would, there's been moments like this where something's come out of nowhere. And Anderson has this completely off game, and it kind of reminds me of the uh, the Edmonton game from last, last round, where they had that big win, scoring five goals in the first period, winning 7-1. That they just got on a roll, and they just caught... Ottawa off, and they just kept coming and coming, and Ottawa just couldn't get it back together. But I also saw that, just like in the Edmonton game, that the team who lost just went, oh, okay, we had a terrible game and we lost, let's get back to it. And so in game six, we have Ottawa winning 2-1. to So their backs are up against it, it's three games to two, and they come up, and they come up with a, a great gut check win, just like it was Anaheim against Auto or against the Oilers. Basically, the same thing. You lose big, and then you come back the next the next game, and you just and you just win because you have to. So we're at Game Seven, and this was again. This probably should have been the Stanley Cup Final because these two teams were just battling it out tooth and nail, and it was. It was a hell of a game, and nobody was sure what was going to happen. The commentator said, "As soon as as soon as that first goal goes in, that might be it. It might end up one nothing." And here's what I thought. I thought, no, that's not how these games go. Once a goal goes in, this is a do or die game. That other team goes mental and and and, and throws everything against the wall and basically says, "We've got nothing to lose. We have to put everything into tying this game up." And that's how these games go, where the one team will score, and the other team will throw everything at them, come back, and tie the game up. And then, you know, another team will score, and then the other team will come back and, you know, whatever, right? So that's what I was expecting, and that's what we got. Pittsburgh finally scores the first goal. Nice goal by Kunitz on a 2-on-1. And then immediately Ottawa comes back and Stone with, like, 20 seconds in makes this, or 20 seconds after that goal, the Kunitz goal, He crosses the line, dragging his skate so he's not going to be offside, and then goes for the net, gets the pass, puts it up over Murray. Beautiful shot, and ties up the game. And then again, we get this this rest of the game where it's super tight, and then Pittsburgh scores again. Shot from the point. I forget who the defenseman was, but basically uh, it was Schultz, I believe shoots from the point and it's just one of those seeing eye shots. Anderson sees nothing. He's like double uh double screened and the puck goes in at about a foot high in off the post. And it's two to two to one. So again, that could be the game there, but no, Ottawa comes back right away and scores again. A shot goes off the post, bounces behind Murray the wrong way, kind of like it went off Murray's right, and then bounced to Murray's left, where he thought it would bounce to the right so he glances to the right, meanwhile Ottawa dude starting with a D Decazel or something DeSouzle it De, was anyway, something like that, <laughs> that was terrible I'm just trying to remember, but I can't quite get it, anyway he goes ahead, and he's Johnny on the spot he's right next to the goal, and the puck comes right to him with the empty net in front of him Penguin right behind him, checking him, but he's too late. And the the who's a whats all goes ahead and (laughs) shoots it into the empty net. And he's tied the game. And again, like, everyone's just, oh, when's this going to end? And you kind of knew it was going into overtime at that point. And you kind of knew that it wasn't going to end soon. And sure enough, we find our way into our second overtime. Now, before we get to that, I do want to note that the 2-1 to goal that Pittsburgh scores is scored because Dion Phaneuf makes this boneheaded play. As Phil Kessel, the puck gets shot in, and just by the blue line, Phaneuf just rubs Kessel out against the boards. The puck's already in the corner. It's, Kessel wasn't even the one who shot it in, as far as I remember. It, it was just It was a pure case of interference. And I've talked about that type of interference before and how it bugs me. And when I see this, I'm like, oh, hey, it's Dana Merson." <laughs> Back in 94, Dana Merson takes this cross-checking penalty, I think, in the Stanley Cup Finals against the Rangers. And I know that's the death knell because it was a penalty that didn't have to be taken. And it was basically only taken because Dana was out of position and he wasn't... He knows his limitations. And he knew that he wasn't going to be able to catch, catch the guy up or he wasn't going to stop the guy. So he had because he was him and he wasn't as fast and he wasn't as, you know, quick or whatever, he had to take the penalty to take the guy out. And, of course, he gets caught with it and, and that that at a detriment to the Canucks. Same thing with FNUF here. FNUF knows he can't catch, he can't turn and catch Kessel at this point. The only chance he's got is to rub Kessel out and hope, hope the penalty doesn't get called. And it's funny because they've been saying how uh, FNUF was such a, a great deal and a and a perfect spot for for the Ottawa Senators because, because he wasn't relied upon to be the number one guy. Carlson was the number one guy, right? And so he could just slot in as a number two, number three guy, and that was the perfect place for him. So he didn't have a lot of pressure on him, and he could just do his thing. But the problem with a guy like Faneuf is he's a bit of a bonehead. <laughs> like when he played for Calgary, I just... We saw it you know, night after night you know, in Vancouver that Phaneuf that was, was just this guy who, who was a rough, tough guy, and he played the rough, tough game, and he played a slow game, and he used his, his intimidation to try to even that out. And when you're in the playoffs, and it's near the end of your career, you're not going to be able to intimidate guys anymore, and you're not going to be able to use that as a, as a key factor because you simply can't move the way you could before and hammer guys the way you could before, catch them up. Anyway, so you're slow, and you're you're at a disadvantage, and yet you're still trying your best and trying to do what you can, but it's... so I saw it coming. So I knew that there would be a point at which FNF wouldn't be good enough, and that was that moment. And it could have cost them the game, but instead it cost them the goal, and then they have to come back and tie it up again. And they instead of could have just used that, that push to try to you know, to score against Pittsburgh instead and actually win the game. So yeah, no, it's tough when the game changes and you're no longer the type of player that is gonna be effective. It's a tough place to be and I've no real love for Fanouf because I didn't like the way he played. But you don't wanna see any player kind of being a in a situation where their their play stops the rest of the team from being successful. But it seemed to be the case with Faneuf, at least in that situation, and, and kind of the way he played overall in this game. So yeah, so that was uh, that. was that, And so now we get into overtime. And double overtime. Crosby hops onto the ice with Kunutz behind him. And get, it's, it's already in the Ottawa zone. Crosby goes in the corner, gets the puck with a little bit of energy, and sees Kunitz, like, right there in the slot. And it's like, okay, here you go. And Kunitz blasts it home. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't. He takes a knuckle shot as the puck kind of comes up on end. And had he blasted it, we might still be playing. Because Anderson was playing amazing. uh, And Murray was playing really well, too. So, there wasn't a lot of chances for real Real quality chances for goals per se. Although Kessel had a couple of opportunities that were close. But he flubbed it, sort of. And it butterflied up and over the shoulder of Anderson. And that was it. And that's the 3-2 game. And Pittsburgh moves on. So, once again, I was not right. But I was right, obviously. That it was Pittsburgh getting past Ottawa. But not anywhere near in the way that I thought it would go. And that's okay. My son was still super happy. I'm still happy that he's happy, and looks like we're going to go on to the final against against Nashville. So it is that Nashville Pittsburgh final, and so let's see how Nashville got past Anaheim. Well, it started out with a a close game, a a three two victory in overtime for Nashville, and Anaheim felt they had to that it was a close game, and they had to come back and. The leadership there got them back on track and got them going. And in Game 2, they won 5-3. to three. At least some people, I think, really felt that Anaheim was on the move there. I didn't. I saw there was a couple of breakdowns, and then there was some momentum. And it didn't look like, to me, that this was kind of... This was the 7 nothing 7-1 game for Nashville. That I thought... They knew they didn't play good enough to win, and they were taking note of okay, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to do this next time, and so forth and so on. So they were ready to play the next game, and they came out and they played a solid game, winning three, uh two to one. And so up two games to one against Anaheim, it comes down again to, to this crucial game three, a uh, game four rather. And if Nashville wins this, this is a three to one series lead and again that makes it super tough for the ducks but we've got Raquel scores to from Fowler to uh start off the game and then we've got Richie scoring from Thompson uh Vattenin so there right off the bat we've got 2 nothing Anaheim and now I get worried and I'm thinking well I don't know I th- I thought I thought Nashville had it but Nashville was carrying the play here even though they got those two goals. They're not carrying the play. You know, I didn't think that it wasn't a 2 nothing type game. It was a 1-1 type game. And it just so happened that they got 2 nothing in. And so Subin scores in the uh, in the third period about 13 minutes in and then desperately Forsberg gets the goal to tie the game from Marvidsson and Neal with less than a minute to go. Great Great goal, I believe it was side of the net, and just got the puck on a stick and just let her fly now, Neil was behind the net, I think, and got it in front to to Forsberg, kind of in the slot sort of I think, anyway, so that tied the game up, and at that point, I knew, okay, good they they have this one, they just have to go in the overtime and do this, get it done, and then ten minutes in overtime, Corey Perry scores. <laughs> And then was three two Anaheim, and I'm like, man, can't can't these just go the way I expect them to? Why do they Why do they have to be so difficult? And so suddenly it's a it's it's a two 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 series, and I'm thinking, uh, not again. <laughs> Anaheim's going to come back again, and and it's gonna, it's going to be getting in the Stanley Cup, and that's going to suck. But in game three. Okay, I think what say. In game five, going by odds I guess. In game five, Nashville just kinda of goes, oh, okay. And pulls it together and wins three to one. And much like game three, game three and game five were, were very similar in that Nashville took control of the ice and there wasn't a lot Anaheim could really do about it. So <laughs> so because Nashville was controlling the ice Anaheim's, Anaheim's decision here was to put in Kevin Bieksa and Kevin Bieksa would fix it all. And I love Kevin, but, but he's not the answer. I mean, you know, that, that goes to show you where they were, right? They were in a situation where they had to, they had to do something, but they just didn't have the depth to do what they needed to do. And so they thought, well, if we're losing control of the battles, we gotta get a battler in. And yeah, if it were twenty eleven BXa, absolutely. That battle would have would have been won. At least it would have been a heck of a good shot to put in BXa. I mean BXa would have been anyway at that point. So so now we're going to game six, up three to two for the Predators and Anaheim playing for their lives. Watson and Sisson's score in the first period, again showing depth, showing that they're a team game team and showing that they're in control. Well, second period Cass scores, I believe that's how you say his name, Kase, Uh, from Getzlaff and Vatnin. And so it's two to one. Sizens scores again in the third period. And it's three to one. And this should be this should be the game. But back comes The Ducks and Wagner and Fowler come back to tie the game 3-3. Now, there's half a period left, and I'm looking at this game. I'm going, you know what? This is the Predators' game. Anaheim's just come back to score two goals and tie it 3-3. But I'm looking at it, and I'm like, nope, Predators have this thing. Because it was like desperation hockey, barely getting it done, and... You take a look at the two tanks and Anaheim's tank was empty. They were going to pray that overtime would happen and they'd get a lucky goal in over, overtime. But the Predators weren't done yet. The Predators still had a lot of bounce in their step. They had a lot of fight in their sticks. And it showed because just a few minutes later, Sizen scores his hat trick to go up 4-3. to three. And then Forsberg who they were counting on being a Sissons, you know, goes ahead and scores. They were thinking Forsberg would be scoring three goals, not Sissons. But there you go. Forsberg goes ahead and scores the fifth goal. And at this point, finally, the the Ducks are done. And w- Watson scores the sixth goal to win 6-3. to Ah, <sighs> that feels good. The Ducks are out. Everything's fine. And we get this wonderful quote. And I think it's from, I think it's from Pekka Rene. And he says, thank God for Colton Sissons. (laughs) Which is a great, a great thing to say. Now, this game can't be cataloged without um, noting the fact that the Ducks goaltender, John Gibson, gets hurt. So who comes in to help him out and to back him up? And that would, of course, be Jonathan Bernier. So, so actually, in Game Five—not in Game Six, but in Game Five—John Gibson uh, sustains a lower-body injury, as they say, in the first period, and is replaced in the second by Jonathan Bernier. And it's Bernier who lets those uh, two other goals in. So they're counting on Bernier in Game Six to save them. And that was the other thing: when you get to when it gets to three-three in the third period, you're, you're you're going okay. They're going to go full-out defensive and hope that Jonathan Bernier is going to save them. And with, with the Predators' team offense, and the pressure that they had, and the energy that they had, I I knew that it wasn't looking good for the Ducks. So, anyway, just wanted to point that out that, yeah, they were forced to, to lean on their backup, and depend on him, when realistically that wasn't likely to lead them to victory in and of itself. So, there you have it. I was right again. And more right in this series. I think this is pretty much how this series... Like, with the exception of the one game, the way it went or whatever. I think this series goes the way I suggested in six games. I said five or six games. And there it is. So, I was actually right and right, for the most part, with this one. So now we get to... Well, the finals. The post-game show. This is part of the program in which I tell you what I think will happen in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yes, it's the 2017 Stanley Cup Finals. that starts on Monday. And boy, are we excited. The Pittsburgh Penguins are going to take on the Nashville Predators. Nashville, who has never won. Pittsburgh, who has not won for, oh, a couple of years anyway. And... And by a couple of years, I mean last year. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so this is this is big. This is fun. This is good. And I think this is going to come down to two things. I think it will come down to the health of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So this was their big problem in the last series, was they got into points where they just weren't healthy enough to field the team they needed to field. And Nashville just needs to play their game. If they can play their game... When they're with their defensemen moving the puck and getting offensive chances, setting up offensive situations, and Pekka Rene just back there doing his thing. If they play their game, they can take this thing. Whereas if Pittsburgh continues to be healthy enough, they have the firepower to, to score against Rene. And they've got the the offensive talent to, to take it to them. Do they have the energy, though? I can tell that Nashville has the energy, and they, they just seem... Okay, if I were going to just take a look at this completely without thinking about anything else, and looking at the two teams, the way they finished up their series, Pittsburgh limped in. They barely got through, and the Predators, they got through. They played their game, and they ultimately controlled their own fate, and they, they managed to get through without really straining themselves too, too hard. So, I would say, left in the tank, Predators have it over Pittsburgh. And so if it comes to that, if it comes to, let's see who has the most bodies that are going to be able to be standing by the end. And that, it reminds me of the 2011 Canucks-Bruins finals, where the Canucks came in banged up and empty tanked. And I knew, I knew, if if the Canucks couldn't win early they weren't going to win that if it were going to go long Boston had that one and just like Pekarene, Tim Thomas for Boston you know he played out of his mind and Pekarene has that has that potential to play out of his mind and just win the series so if I were just looking at this right now with nothing else on I would I would pick the Predators I would in fact I'd pick them in like I'd probably pick them in six at this point Because that would be long enough to tire out the Penguins and and to let the Penguins completely empty their tank. And win those couple of games. And then allow the Predators to just completely take control in game 6 and win it. But, but you see I have this son. (laughs) Who's this huge Penguins fan. And to be perfectly honest, I'm kind of starting to like the Penguins more and more. And I'm going to pick the Penguins. Because... I can't disappoint my boy. <laughs> and, and and it could be the Penguins. I mean, there is no question. There is a total huge advantage to be in a situation where you've been there before and you know what it takes to win. And while the other team is saying, oh, we we, we still got another game, you get to say, no, we don't. That these four wins mean more than anything. And so that team who thinks that way going to go out there every night and do those last couple of things, sacrifice their body those last couple of times more to win those four games. So that's usually how that goes, but the truth of this is that there just might be too big of a difference in the tank size, you know, what's left in the tank, and I'm thinking Pittsburgh, if Pittsburgh's going to win, is going to have to be an unconscious empty tank performance if it's going to go past like 5 games they're going to have to do the unthinkable and just stand on their heads and do some amazing stuff or they can get it done in 4 or 5 games and just throw everything out in the ice and and go empty tank for the win in game 5 that's that's i think where i how i see them winning but i'd say 70 or 80% of the time i think this is this is Nashville's series to win. But I'm going to go with the 20 to 30% chance I have for a happy son for a second year in a row. And I'm going to say Pittsburgh will pull it off. Their experience and their their never-say-die situation will, will lead them to victory. And that's what we're going to see. So I said that I might do a game in the Stanley Cup Finals, and we'll just see. I might not. I'm super busy right now outside of uh, podcasting, so as we're getting down to final exam area and final report cards, so I'm doing a bunch of marking like crazy, so I may just not have time for it. But if I do, then fantastic. If not, we will see you after the Stanley Cup Finals is over, and we will decompress all this information and see where we go from there. So, until then, this is Aaron Lane for the Canucks Corner Podcast. If you'd like to find me, I'm at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. That's at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. Or email me at CanucksCornerPod at gmail.com. That's CanucksCornerPod, all one word, at gmail.com. And until we pod again, thanks for listening. And keep your stick on the ice.